And now this from the Gospel according to St. Luke in the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to you, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of life. Now this is a peculiar parable. As we read through it and Jesus tells the story and commends the dishonest manager, it's a little confusing to those who hold those of us who hold honesty as a virtue. It doesn't really make sense at first. And yet I remind you of the definition of a parable I shared with you a few weeks ago that it's designed to arrest the hearer or arrest the attention of the hearer by its vividness or its strangeness this is a strange one we're supposed to pay attention we're supposed to look deeper jesus is trying to get the attention i think of those who are following because he has some lessons for us to learn here i want us to think about this for a while there is a rich man Jesus says, who had a manager. There is a rich man who had a manager. That's the context in which the story begins. These are the two characters. There is a rich man, so he is the owner or the provider in this story. He's the one with the goods. And then there is a manager who's supposed to be working for him, managing the property, the wealth, the goods, and all of that. There may be a parallel here between God and humans. Let's look and see if you think so. Jesus is addressing the disciples. That would probably be the 12 and maybe a few others when he tells this parable that there is a rich man who had a manager. And someone tells the rich man that the manager 
is squandering his property or he's wasting it. He's not using it wisely, if you will. And so the owner, the rich man, goes to the manager and says, I can't have this. You need to give me an accounting of everything that you have done. And so the manager goes. He knows he's in trouble. He knows what he's done. And he begins to forgive debts, if you will. He begins to be more generous all of a sudden with those he's been working with. Although generous with someone else's resources at this point, yet generous nonetheless. And then we get to verse 8. And Jesus says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Let's be careful. He doesn't say he commends him for being dishonest, but for acting shrewdly. What possibly could be the lesson here? It seems that Jesus is trying to draw a contrast between the manager when he is thoughtless and wasteful and selfish to at least becoming thoughtful and generous although still for his own benefit so still selfish he loses his job he's no longer the manager that relationship is broken and yet there are probably a couple of things here that we need to know i've put them in your outline first be generous to others with what we have been given responsibility over He is the manager. He does have responsibility. He has some power there. And at least by the end, he uses it to benefit others. Then second, think about the future impact of the way in which you use what you have. Jesus seems to want these disciples to think about how they're using the resources they've received. It really helps, I think, that there's a few verses after the story with some of these wisdom sayings. I found verse 13 particularly helpful. Jesus says in the very end of this section where we read, No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth Jesus seems to be saying that the manager had a choice to make that he was serving himself and not the owner or the provider if it is a God human parallel then he's serving himself rather than serving God but it's interesting also he doesn't say you shouldn't do this he makes a declarative statement and says you cannot do this you cannot serve both It reminded me of that Robert Frost poem, one of my favorites, one we studied in school. You may have heard it before, The Road Not Taken. Frost wrote it like this, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, And sorry I could not travel both, And be one traveler, long I stood, And looked down one as far as I could, To where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads to way, I I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, 
somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't do this. It will be a bad thing. He says you're standing at a fork in the road. A decision has to be made. How many masters are you trying to serve? Jesus says the dilemma is you're going to hate the one and love the other, or despise the one and be devoted to other when you try to serve both. You cannot serve two masters. Your program staff or ministry staff here at the church, 12 of us are studying a course called Financial Peace University. It's authored by a guy named Dave Ramsey. He is a Christian teacher about finance. He's a very entertaining presenter. We have books to read, videos to watch. We have a two-hour class discussion every week where we get together to talk about financial principles. He talks a lot about debt and how debt causes problems for Americans, even Christian Americans, debt becomes a problem. He asked the question in one of the videos, when was the first credit card issued in America? I don't think any of us knew. He says the answer is 1950, the diner's club card in New York City. Some entrepreneurs came up with this idea that they could work out a deal with a few select restaurants and you could go there to dine and if you had your diner's club card, you could eat there and you didn't have to pay. Well, at least not right then. You get to pay at the end of the month or make payments at the end of the month. He said from that simple beginning in America, now some 60 years later, this has become a major industry, this selling of credit cards, issuing of credit cards. He asked the question, guess how much money is spent advertising, trying to convince you and me that we need some credit cards? He says the answer is $100 million a year convincing us that we really need this. And he said, you know, they've, they've convinced us that this is a service for us rather than something that will enslave us. He says, in fact, he thinks they've done such a great job that they've redefined the word afford in America. He said, used to, when people said, I can afford that, it meant I can pay cash. I have the money. He says, now when we say, oh, I can afford that, it means... I can get a loan. I can put it on credit. I can pay for it later. He says that's a dangerous path to go down. He reminds us that in the book of Proverbs, it says that the borrower is the slave to the lender, that the rich will rule over the poor. He says, you know, these people are really smart. They study us. He says they have aptly named their credit card the MasterCard because it becomes our master. But as Christians, we should be slave of our master Lord, not our master card. And he raises the issue, who are you slave to? Who are you serving? Which do you think the most about? 
Jesus said some 2,000 years ago, no slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That may be the point of all this. When Jesus starts the story, there was a rich man who had a manager. He wants us to think about where we are in this equation. And I think that Jesus is trying to help his disciples see that God is the provider of all. And we are the manager. That God is the provider of all and we are or the manager. It's a different mindset than our culture teaches us. It may be a different mindset than you bring with you today. It's a change in perspective. We like to think that my money and my house and my car, it's all mine, and I'll decide what to do with it, and nobody else has anything to say. The biblical view is a little different. It says that God is the creator and sustainer of all. God is the provider of everything. We're the recipients or the manager or the steward or the servant of God. And that God gives us some directions for how we're to use those resources. But Jesus seems to be saying that it's a common temptation to be the manager and forget about where the resources came from to be the manager just like the one in the parable who's using it all for him or herself and forget that it comes from someplace else there was a Sunday school teacher who's trying to bring this home to her students so one day she brings a pan of freshly baked brownies to class Oh, they smell so good. They look so delicious. She begins to cut them up and says, you know, we need to give some of these to God and we're going to have some for ourselves. What do you think we ought to do? And one eager little boy says, I think we should eat some. And everybody says, yeah, great idea. And so they all have their hands out and they all begin to eat the brownies. And sure enough, they're delicious. And they're wondering if they could have another. And so they take a second. Some are still hungry for the third. And they're eating them all up. And they're having a magnificent time until the teacher says, Now what shall we give God? And they all look at the pan. And there's nothing left but crumbs. And one little boy cries out, we don't have enough left to give a decent gift to God. Most of us have been there. Most of us have been in that place where we begin to think about giving something to God and we look at what we've done and we've spent it all on ourselves. And we find ourselves in a bind. And we're thinking, well, maybe it's all mine anyway. But the Bible's pretty consistent on this. There's a pretty consistent theme of teaching that God is the provider. God is the creator. God is the one who provides everything we need for life and life abundant. We're getting ready to do a pledge drive or the stewardship campaign or what I like to call the commitment campaign these next couple of weeks where I'm going to ask you to think about this and how you participate here in terms of your financial resources in your life with God through this church. 
The theme is going to be follow the recipe. Follow the recipe. It comes from a story, an experience Mary and I, my wife, and I had a few years ago. Some of our friends had been particularly generous with us. They had a vacation home that they said we could use for a week. We went and had a wonderful time. When we came back, we're talking, we should do something. We should thank them in some way. And Mary said, what if I bake them a homemade apple pie? Well, she makes the best apple pie in the world, I thought. So I said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. She baked it while it was still warm. I took it down the street to our neighbors and said, thanks so much. Mary's made you an apple pie. I had not been home probably 20, 30 minutes before the phone rang. It was the neighbors. She said, David, we think this is the best apple pie ever. We loved it. Thank you so much. I said, oh, you're so welcome, hung up, went to tell Mary, they think it's the best pie ever. And she said, well, it's not that hard if you follow the recipe. I mean, she was flattered. They just said, you make the best apple pie ever. And she says, well, it's not that hard if you follow the recipe. The Bible gives us a recipe for life and life abundant and life eternal. It gives us a recipe for how to deal with our finances. I've put it in your outline in a summary form. It's pretty simple. Give back to God through the church. Give to God first. Give 10%. It's a recipe for the best. It's a recipe for the best life ever. It's pretty simple if you follow the recipe. But you know what I find as a pastor over these many years? Most Christians, even church-going ones, don't follow the recipe. 